and we reach into 1 John 4, and we'll be reading a section from that context, starting with verse 10. This section is itself called God's Love and Ours. Will you stand with me as we read, please? In verse 10, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God loves it, lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. The word of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Gail. Uh, before I... I get into today's message. I just want you to know that Doc, um, our new district superintendent, Dr. Virgil Askren, will be preaching next Sunday. So I get to re relax as much as you can when your review is going to happen that day. <laughs> just a heads up so you know. Um, pastor I served under uh, for a number of years preached a series on grace that lasted for a year. Well, um, when you start talking about God's love, it, it's another one of those topics you could preach on for a long, long time. So you need to know that today as I talk about, ad, ad, this by the way, just to remind you, is the third in a series that I was preaching before um, COVID knocked me down and I disappeared for a while. So um, this, is the, this is the last installment of that series. Um, and it's the love of God. And again, it's one of those subjects you could preach and preach and preach on. So you need to know we're just really barely skimming the surface today. Um, you know, when we think about attitudes that motivate a Christian, this is probably at the top of the list, the love of God. For most of us, it would be. You know, there's a lot of talk in our culture about love. Uh, just think of all the secular songs that have been written and sung about love, and, and the list would probably be endless. But here are a few examples. All you need is love. <clears throat> Get a little love in your heart. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. By the way, if you knew who uh, the artists who did these, um, you can share that with me after church and you'll get, oh, I don't care, 10,000 extra bonus points, okay? Because <clears throat> points are free, right? 
Love is the answer. The power of love. The glory of love. Living on love. And a thousand others that deal with this whole subject. But and, and we sing about that so much because we long for it. Um, that's why we have so many songs out there, in, not only in the Christian world, but in the secular world, about love. And yet so many of them miss the point entirely. So um, we want to talk, I want to talk today about God's love. And we need to understand that God has loved from the beginning. I think there's a tendency among some to think that God's love toward us did not really manifest itself until the coming of Jesus. That's when we begin to see the loving side of God. And until that time, God might be viewed by many from the, more from the direction of His justice and judgment. You know, when you read through the Old Testament and, and some of the things that happened to the children of Israel on their many years in the desert and their failure to enter the land of Canaan when they should have. And, and then you move on to the, to the prophets and the idolatry and, and that kind of circular thing that the people of Israel find, found themselves in in the book of Judges where they would be blessed and when they got blessed they got lazy and didn't need God anymore and would turn to idols and, and bad things would happen. God was getting their attention and eventually they'd cry out to God and He'd have mercy on them and restore them and times would get good again and then bing, 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 here we go. So I think for, for a lot of people, um, to them the focus maybe in the Old Testament on God is more one of harshness, harshness and an eagerness to punish. We fail to recognize the love behind all of God's dealing with mankind. In Genesis, we find the account of creation. It's the account of an unfathomable work of love. God's love desired a willing response. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth so that the very good, that's us, humanity, of His creation would have a dwelling place. A place that provided all that we needed. A place of such beauty, majesty, and intricacy that the greatness and love of God could be seen in all that surrounded them. But God's love has been rejected. His perfect plan for mankind was never to be fulfilled because man failed to respond to God's love in complete trust and obedience. Adam and Eve in the garden refused to believe God and ate the forbidden fruit. And so at that point, a separation had been created. And by Genesis chapter 6, we find that mankind has grown so wicked and sinful that God destroys all but Noah and his family in the, in the flood. Why didn't God just 
You know, if I was God, why didn't God just wipe the slate clean and start over? After all, it wouldn't be that big a deal for an almighty God to just do it all over again, right? The reason is because of God's covenant love with that which he had created. With us, who in all creation have the ability to accept and respond to God's love. It was at the beginning with Adam, with Adam and Eve's sin that God's love began to reach redemptively across the sin separation that had been created. His plan for our salvation was already in place from the very beginning. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9, it gives us a sense of God's love commitment to mankind. It says this, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping His covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love Him and keep His commandments. So we can now begin to follow the path of God's love through the Word as He interacts with mankind. In the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, God gives law. It was an act of love that gave guidelines for his expectations and standards to a people whose natural inclination was now to sin. And God wanted them to know, here's how you can please me. Here's how you can live in obedience. It was an act of love. It wasn't this straitjacket thing that so many people see um, God's standards and expectations as. The Old Testament prophets were God's messengers to call people back to himself. And again, we see so often in the Old Testament that God's people, the the Israelites, strayed away. And he was continually calling them back to himself. And there were warnings, warnings of punishment for sin and failure to obey, yet always love and patience and mercy God's willingness to withhold judgment if His people would return to Him. I'm not sure we always get a sense of God's broken heart as communicated through His prophets. Too often the focus is on anger or sternness or discipline. And certainly those things need to be heeded, but heeded, not heeded need to be heeded, but underlying all that is God's love for His people. You see it in, especially in the, the prophet Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. We, we see the heart of God broken and grieved by His people who would not return to Him. In the prophet Hosea, we see an example of love given, yet rejected and never returned. And still, in Jeremiah 31.3, it says, The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. Still, throughout the prophets, even back in the Old Testament, God's love solution for our sin problem 
God's love solution in Jesus Christ is always there. His plan to redeem mankind is heard in the words of the prophet Zephaniah. In, in, in Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 15 it says, God has taken away your punishment. Verse 17, He, He the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves you. He will take great delight in you. In His love He will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice with you over you with singing. And in verse 20 it says, I will gather you, I will bring you home. That's the love of God for lost people. And so, just as I said, even through the prophets, it, it points to God's solution for sin, His love solution for sin. It points to Jesus Christ. And God's love is seen most clearly in Jesus Yep. God's promises are true. The, the day came when he put on flesh and personally stepped into history. God came in the person of Jesus Christ to deal with our sin problem. The sin problem, which is our sin problem. And, and I don't think we can adequately, adequately grasp the significance of what it meant for God's Son to put on flesh with all its limitations to live with and then die for us at our hands. He created us. He certainly did, did not and does not owe us himself as the way out of sin. The mess we have gotten ourselves into. But because of his love, Jesus did come. Because of his love, we can glory in the cross of Christ as the ultimate act of love. It's pretty quiet in here. Through the cross we are redeemed, reconciled, and justified. And all this made available to us because God loves us. And, and I know it's hard for us humanly to put ourselves in God's place. But if you have children, I, 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 I've tried to kind of wrap my mind around what God did when he sent Jesus to this earth. It's basically saying, I would be willing to give up one of my daughters, i put one of my daughters on death row and let everybody else there go. And she would pay the price. Nope. And yet that's what God did for us. Folks, because of sin, we were on death row. And Jesus has redeemed us. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make this wretch his treasure. I want to share this story with you. Can I see my baby? The happy mother asked when the bundle was nestled in her arms and she moved the fold of cloth to look upon his tiny face, she gasped. 
The doctor turned quickly and looked out the tall hospital window. The baby had been born without ears. Time proved that the baby's hearing was perfect. It was only his appearance that was marred. When he rushed home from school one day and flung himself into his mother's arms, she sighed, knowing that his life would be a succession of heartbreaks. He blurted out the tragedy. A boy, a big boy, called me a freak. He grew up handsome for his misfortune, a favorite with his fellow students. He might have been class president, but for that one thing. He developed a gift, a talent for literature and music. But you might mingle with other young people, his mother reproved him, but felt a kindness in her heart. The boy's father had a session with the family physician. Could nothing be done? Well, I believe I could graft on a pair of outer ears if they could be procured, the doctor decided. Whereupon the search began for a person who would make such a sacrifice for a young man. Two years went by. Then, you're going to the hospital, son. Mother and I have someone who will donate the ears you need. But it's a secret, said the father. The operation was a brilliant success and a new person emerged. His talents blossomed into genius and school and college became a series of triumphs. Later he married and entered the diplomatic service. But I must know, he urged his father, who gave so much for me I could never do enough for him. I do, I do not believe you could, said the father, but the agreement was that you are not to know, not yet. Well, the years kept their profound secret, but the day did come. One of the darkest days that a son can endure, he stood with his father by his mother's casket. Slowly, tenderly, the father stretched forth a hand and raised the thick, reddish-brown hair to reveal that the mother had no outer ears. Mother said she was glad she never let her hair be cut, he whispered gently. And nobody ever thought mother less beautiful, did they? Parents can understand that kind of love for a child, that, that willingness to give ourselves so that their pain can be taken away. And as great as that kind of love would be, as sacrificial of an act as that would seem, it is insignificant in the light of the love that the Father has already demonstrated for us through his Son, Jesus Christ. One of the stories that I think illustrates that most clearly is the story of the prodigal son. Takes his inheritance, wasted in sinful pursuits, and ends up feeding pigs to keep from starving. Now, Jesus was telling this to Jewish people. And so for that young man to end up in a pig pen was about as low as they, think they could think anybody would ever go. And when he comes to his senses and realizes that even the servants in his father's house have it immeasurably better than he does, he turns around and heads for home. How often have we prayed that? That someone we know who doesn't know Jesus or has walked away would turn around and head for home. And the father, when he sees him coming... For he has watched for his son every day, runs to meet him and welcome him home. See, 
That's kind of interesting because it would have been considered undignified for an adult male, especially one with the apparent wealth and accompanying position of the father in this story, to run. But he didn't care. What mattered was the son he loved had come home. It mattered not what he had done out there. What mattered was that he had come home. And it's just a wonderful illustration, wonderful illustration of God's love for lost sons and daughters. Romans 8, verses 35 and 38 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord because His love is that incredibly great. And everlasting. And so, because we've been loved so deeply by God, then God's love motivates us to love others, or it should. It's only when we begin to understand the depth of Christ's love for us that we are motivated to respond in love. John 13 34, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Once we begin to understand the the love of Christ, once we begin to explore the depths of that love, then the love of God so grips us that we become motivated by it. We are, as the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.14, compelled by God's love. Fuller Seminary asked 750 former Muslims to fill out an extensive questionnaire about how they came to decide to become a Christian. The respondents were from 30 countries and 50 ethnic groups representing every major region of Islam. They were asked to rank the relative importance of different influences that brought them to Christ. What they reported to have had the most influence on them to reject Islam and all that, that it means and come to Christ was the lifestyle of Christians. That's positive. They said things like there was no gap between profession and practice. Be nice if that was true all the time, huh? They said they treated women as equals. They loved others rather than being unloving toward people who were different. The most powerful witness to people entrenched in the Islamic way of life was a consistent Christian witness. And folks, the foundation of that is God's love for us and our love for others. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 3, 
beginning verse 17 through verse 19. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and how long and how deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And folks, Paul is talking here about something that happened that happens over time. It just doesn't happen in an instant. As we grow and, and know Jesus better and grow in our relationship with Him, then our understanding about of His incredible, everlasting, amazing love grows. It is a growing and learning process. There's a song I want us to sing as we close today, and I, I guess you could say... You know, as far as a song goes, this, this does a pretty good job of encompassing, in the words of this song, the love of God for us. Julie, lead us. Let's go ahead and stand and sing the love of God, hymn 86. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win his When years of time shall pass away And earthly thrones and kingdoms fall When men who hear refuse to pray On rocks and hills and mountains call God's love so sure shall still endure All measure less and strong The saints and angels song Our love of God How rich and pure How measureless and strong It shall forevermore endure The saints and angels song Could we with ink the ocean fill And worship skies a parchment made were every stock on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry nor could the scroll con- 
Though stretched from sky to sky. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong it shall Father, thank you for...